All right, good morning. Good to see you guys. Good to uh, be here in fellowship. How about the worship team? Aren't those guys, they're so awesome, huh? They're such a blessing to us. Man, we are really blessed as a church to have so many talented folks that serve with us. Um, As was said, we are grateful that you're here. If you're new here, we want to extend an extra welcome to you. We're so thankful that you came and chose to worship with us this morning. If you're online, then um, we also want to do the same thing and extend um, an extra special welcome if it's your first time to tune in. Um, And if you're tuning in regularly, welcome. We're grateful to have you. So we are uh, coming up on the Easter season, and we're Starting kind of a, uh, our, our Easter kind of series here as we, as we head towards Easter. And we're going to start with this idea that, that he came. And that in and of itself is really a profound thing. The idea, the concept, the thought that God came, that God actually um, came and, and, and became a man so that he could pay the penalty for sin because he loved us and he desired a relationship with us so deeply that he gave everything on our behalf so that we could have everything through him. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to deal with this idea of Jesus and who is Jesus and, 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 and this concept that, that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. He's not 50% God and 50% man. He is 100% God. He is 100% man, and he will be so for all eternity as well. So Jesus, as he came into this incarnation, um, this is now how he lives. Now, certainly he lives in in a glorified body like we will one day, but he lives in a body nonetheless. And and so uh, this Jesus, it's important. This is this, this concept of who is Jesus is, is probably the, the, the most important thing that we've got to get a hold of as Christians, as believers. You see, Jesus is recognized by almost every religion or every uh, thought, uh, religious thought kind of out there. There's, it, it basically, if you, were, um, if you were a Mormon, you would believe that he was um, a man who uh, was working his way towards Godhood, that he became an example for us um, in that sense, and that we could look to him uh, but if you, were, uh, if you were a New Age believer or a Buddhist, you would believe that he was a person who had come to, um, through self-denial and sacrifice, had found his way basically kind of to nirvana, that he was some sort of an avatar who showed us and displayed to us the way to heaven. If, um, <clears throat> if you were a Hindu, you'd have no problem adding him to the 330 million gods and goddesses in your pantheon. Um, it, it wouldn't be um, any kind of a stretch. If you were a Jehovah Witness, you would believe that he was the Archangel Michael and that he had come as the sacrificial uh, lamb of God that paid the penalty for sin, but, but denying his deity. <clears throat> so Jesus is also a curse word in every language, basically, that is spoken. Um, but almost all reasonable scholars believed that he lived on earth. So we're talking about events that happened in real history, in real time. And this is, this is crucial. We're, our belief system isn't one that just comes from some nebulous place. We believe that God visited earth, that he intersected into time, space, and history on our behalf. And that is a really crucial thing. So we are going to do a thing today. We're going to do some like systematic theology. And what I'm going to do is referred to in the preaching realm as I'm going to be like dump truck Dave I'm going to back up and just, we're going to get a lot of scripture. 
Don't be overwhelmed by the scripture. It's on purpose because I want us to see just definitively that these concepts and these ideas come from the word of God, not from me, not from my thought, not from Pastor Mike's thought, but that these things come from the very word of God. And the word of God undisputably, undeniably teaches these concepts that, that Jesus was God in the flesh, that he was fully God, that he was fully human, and that he was the sacrifice given to pay the penalty for sin. So, this is an important thing. Oh, that thing is so touchy. Luke 9, 18 through 20. Now it happened that as he was praying alone, the disciples were with him, and he asked them, who do the crowd say that I am? And he answered, John the Baptist, but others say Elijah and others that one of the prophets of old has risen. Then he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, Christ, the Christ of God. And so it, it, this is the question. This is the thing that we have to get a hold of. As a matter of fact, this is the one question that you will stand before God and, and your answer to this has everything to do with your eternal position before God, is how you've dealt with Jesus, who he is. And so, um, so this is the question that we will stand, each and every one of us, alone, without a pastor, without spouses, without kids, without anybody. We will stand before God, and God will say, who did you say that I was? Jesus will say, what, who am I, and what did you do with me, basically, kind of a thing. And so we're going to look at this and go into this John 1 begins this way. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So John is doing a, a really interesting thing here. John is taking um, a couple of things here. And one is this word, this logos is the word for word in the Greek. And, and logos isn't just kind of a, a, a concept for the Greek culture that means just a word, like a spoken word. It means much more than that. It's the divine reason. It's the implicit, that is implicit in the cosmos. It's the ordering, it's the giving form and meaning to everything about life. So when John is using this word logos, it's important and it's, it's on purpose because he's painting a picture to the Greek-influenced uh, culture around him, and he's saying, this logos that you speak of, this word, this one who formed the universe, this one who brings form and substance and meaning to the universe is, is Jesus. And so he also then goes on and he talks about him in, uh, he also uses the, the term theos, right? And theos is, is divine. And so there's this very on purpose. And what John is doing is he's tying all of this back to the creation account. So he's speaking both to a Greek and to a Jewish um, audience. And so he takes them right back to here. And he says in Genesis 1, um, 1 through 3, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the, of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So, so this idea of theos is this idea of the one who is sovereign, the one who has created 
all things, that he is the creator and not just the creator, but the ruler of all things. And so in this picture, in this Genesis account, we see the Trinity at work in the creative process. We see that the Father is there. We see that the Spirit is hovering over the surface of the deep. And then what happens is that the the Father speaks and the word comes and light bursts forth and all of creation begins at this moment. What is Jesus called? He's called the light. He's called the light of men, right? And so so we see that, that John is very much on purpose tying this whole concept all the way for the Jewish people back to the beginning of, of the Bible here. So <clears throat> we're going to look at some, some verses and some terms that kind of look at that, all right? So here we go. John 1.18. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Now, these are all references to this word theos. Every time you hear God here, it's talking theos, and it's pointing to Jesus and attributing uh, divinity to him. Romans 9, 5, to them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Titus 2, 13, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, and Savior, Jesus Christ. Hebrews 1.8, but of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. 2 Peter 1.1, Simeon, Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Isaiah 9, 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So another Greek term that was used in the Septuagint, which was the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament, was this word kyrios, and and, and kyrios is translated over 6,800 times, and it's given the position where anywhere where the the Old Testament had Yahweh or Jehovah, the Y-W-V-H, the unspoken um, word of God, then what you would see in your Bibles is Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. In the Greek, this was this Kyrios, and and Kyrios um, is, again, this idea of of placing this idea that we're talking about the God of the Old Testament. We're talking about Yahweh. We're talking about Jehovah God. And um, this term, this word, is attributed many times as well to Jesus. Luke 2.11, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Matthew 3, 3, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Psalm 110, 1, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Hebrews 1, 10, and you, Lord, laid the foundations of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. 
They will all wear out like a garment, like a robe you will roll them up, like a garment they will be changed. But you are the same and your years will have no end. Revelation 19, 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. John 8, 58 and 59, Jesus said to them, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. Exodus 3.14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And so this Jesus does very on purpose. When Jesus makes the I am statements, I am he, I am the light, I am. You, you see, he really didn't talk like that if you were living there at that time. As a matter of fact, you can see what happened if you spoke that way. They picked up stones to, to stone him to death. Well, why were they going to stone him to death? Because he had unequivocally made a statement that said, I am God. And so they said, whoa, you can't say that. That's blasphemy. And they picked up stones to kill him. And and it says that he went out of the temple and he, he got out of their way. But you see, if you were just a person living in Israel, you would avoid saying something like I am. It wouldn't even be in the type of grammar that you would want to use because you wouldn't want to be associated or accused of blasphemy. Jesus also, in Daniel, Daniel 7, 13 to 14, it says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him, and to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom on that shall not be destroyed." Matthew 26, 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so, but I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Jesus is making a direct reference saying, this, this, this Messiah, this, this prophecy of Daniel is me. It applies to me. And so as he makes these things, understand again that Jesus is giving us an idea of who he is. He's defining for us who he is, that he is the God of the universe. He's the creator of all things, and only God can be the Savior. God alone can save. So we'll look at some of the attributes here, too, of his divinity. He is omnipotent. Matthew 8, 26 and 27, he said to them, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, what sort of man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? He had control over creation. Matthew 14, 19, and he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking five loaves and two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds. He took five fish, two loaves, and multiplied it. He did miraculous things. John 2, 9, when the master of the feast tested the water, it had now become wine and did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. He turned water into wine. He's omniscient. Omnipotent means that he's all-powerful. Omniscient means that he is all-knowing. So it says here, um, John 2, 25, 
And he needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. John 16, 30, now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. John 21, 17, he said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. He's sovereign, which means he does as he wills. It means that his will is the ultimate law of the universe. He is sovereign over all things. There is nothing that rules or orders the day of God. God rules all things. He is sovereign. Mark 2, 5 through 7, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, sons are, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? God forgives sins. He is sovereign. He is able to forgive sin. Matthew 5, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. The, the key here is that it says, I say to you. When Jesus thought, taught, he taught as one who had authority to teach. John three thirty six. whoever believes in the Son of Man has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, he controls the eternal destiny of every individual human being that's ever lived or ever will live. He possesses immortality. John 2.19, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. John 10, 17 through 18. For this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Hebrews seven sixteen, Who has become a priest, not by the basis of a legal requirement concerning bodily descent, but by the power of an indestructible life. Jesus receives worship. He is worthy of worship. Philippians 2.9, therefore God has ex highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Hebrews 1.6, and again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Revelation 5.12 and 13, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. He was fully human. He didn't sidestep any of this stuff. I think this is the interesting thing. The Bible lists him as being the second Adam. And, and what, what Jesus did is he came as a person, as he came and he lived the life that we failed to live, where we fell short, he was, he was faithful for us, where, where we lacked, he was abundant, um, where, where we were disobedient before a tree. The Bible says that he was obedient, even to the point of death, even death upon a cross or a tree. So let's look into his humanity. 
John 1 starts and it says this, it says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. So this word, this logos, this reason for the cosmos became flesh and dwelt among us. Eugene Peterson in the message says that he moved into the neighborhood, basically. So Matthew 1.20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is an interesting, uh, this, many scholars believe this is the very first prophetic word of the Messiah and who we would come. And, and where it says here that he would put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring, it's the only place in the Bible where the seed is attributed to a woman. Everywhere else, the seed is attributed to a man. And it's this picture, really, of this picture that the seed would come from a woman, that there would be born of a woman, a virgin birth, not born of a man, this perfect union between deity and humanity. Oops, I don't know why I did that. Genesis, uh, <clears throat> or Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. He had a human body. Um, Luke 2, 7 tells us this, that she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the end. He was born as a human. He went through the human experience of birth. Luke 2.40 says, and the child grew and became strong. He became filled with wisdom and the favor of God was with upon him. It says that he began to grow, that, that he became strong. He, he went through bodily development. Luke 2.52, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. He had a human mind and he actually grew and increased in wisdom. John 4, 6, Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. He was tired. John 19, 28, after this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. He got thirsty. Matthew 4, 2, and after fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Luke 23, to 20, uh, 23, 26, and as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. He'd become exhausted and overwhelmed. John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose, I have come to this hour. His soul was troubled. He had a soul. He had emotions. 
John 13, 21, after saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified, truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. He had a soul. Then he said, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. John eleven thirty five, 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He had emotions. Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Luke 23, 46, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed his last. He died. He died for us. God died a physical death so that we might have life. Hebrews 1, thir- 1 through 3 says, Long ago at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of majesty on high. And so so Jesus is this perfect embodiment of both God and man. He's, He's human to die a physical death. He's divine because only a divine death could pay the penalty for sin for all time. His his divinity allowed him to to be covered and not be imputed with a sinful nature that is is attributed to all human beings who are born by a mother and a father. And so he lived a perfect and sinless life and died on the cross that he might become the mediator for us. But it's important to understand who he was. And not just who people say he is, not what other people say he is, but who did he say he was? And who does God's word say he was? And I would just hold again that these verses just tell us, just without doubt, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is divine, that he was with the Father from all eternity past, that he's always had relationship within the Father that he came, that he entered into time and space. And we know this to be the truth. He's, his life is documented by his Roman historians and Jewish historians. And then the, the historical account of the Bible. And, and, and so we have this picture of, of, this, of this God and man who came. And he, he didn't just come to, to show us like, um, or to just tell us about truth. He came because he's the very embodiment of truth. And, and as, we, as we look to him and we look to him deeper and deeper and deeper, then we understand more and more the character and the nature of this great God who loves us, who gave himself so that we might have life and that we might have life eternal. So I know that's a lot of verses, but I wanted you to see that. And if you're interested, every verse that I just went through is on the back table. There's a copy of it that you can go back and pick up and do your own study and look into these verses and look into this and, and ask God to begin to teach you and reveal deeper and deeper and deeper to us who is Jesus? Who is he? Because we have to, we have to know who he is and we have to trust him 
And we have to experience him to have real and authentic relationship with him, to be saved by this God-man who came for us. Let's pray, and then we'll move into our time of communion. Lord, we just thank you. We thank you that you came. We thank you that you did for us what was impossible for us to do on our own, that you, that you loved us so much that you entered into flesh, that you came as a man so that you might die the death that we deserve, but then you might impart righteousness into our account, that you might give us what we didn't have, not because we're good, but because you're good, because you loved us and because you've pursued us, Lord. Let us give of ourselves in the most logical, the most reasonable way that we can. Lord, may everything about us be returned to you, that it might bring you glory, that it might bring you the honor, that we might know you in a deeper way, that we might show the world out there, that we might show the community that we live in, the reality of who you are, the goodness of who you are. May, may, may this soak into a place where the reality of it becomes so real for us that it becomes central, that it becomes just the core thing about our lives. Help us, Lord, as we take communion to remember that you came in this way, that you came both as God and as man, that you might mediate between the two of them, that you might speak on our behalf, that you might take the penalty due us and impute and give the righteousness that we so don't deserve, but that you desire to give us. And we thank you for all the gift of who you are. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.